Welcome to Talking About Regeneration, the podcast that's about stem cells, gene therapy, and all things regenerative medicine, with perhaps some other fun stuff thrown in for good measure. I'm Kevin McCormack, the Director of Patient Advocacy at the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, or CIRM. We are California's stem cell agency, and we have $5.5 billion to change the face of medicine as we know it. And this podcast will introduce us to some of the people who are helping us do just that. Enjoy the show. Our guest today is Dr. Dennis Clegg. Dr. Clegg is a professor of biological engineering and of molecular, cellular, and developmental biology at the University of California at Santa Barbara. And if you know Santa Barbara, you know it's a beautiful part of California, right on the beach, and it offers the perfect excuse to goof off. But no one could ever accuse Dennis of that. He's the recipient of the UCSB Distinguished Teaching Award, the Pacific Coast Business Times Champions in Healthcare Award, the National Eye Institute Audacious Goals Award. I love that word, audacious. Um, He's been a Frontiers of Vision Research Lecturer at the National Eye Institute, a keynote lecturer at the Stem Cells World Congress, and a TEDx speaker. There's a lot of other things on his resume, but this is not an hour-long podcast, so we don't have time to go into those. Dr. Dennis Clegg, welcome to the CERM podcast, talking about regeneration. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're delighted to have you. Um, so let's start with the work that you're doing. And obviously, some of this work is that CERM is funding in the interest of full disclosure. Um, describe the work you're doing for, for macular degeneration and why it's important. Yes, uh, sure. Age-related macular degeneration is one of the leading causes of, of blindness uh, in the world and, and especially in the elderly. And uh, there are two forms of the disease, the wet form and the dry form. And for the wet form, there are some treatments that work pretty well. But for the dry form, which is the most prevalent, there's really nothing you can do. And and uh, uh, something like three out of 10 people over the age of 75 suffer from this disease. So, so we wanted to come up with a cell therapy that could treat the disease and and uh, prevent blindness in these patients. And it's, it's a devastating disease where the, the very central part of your visual field just uh, fails. And, and so imagine if you're looking out at a scene and the, somebody's holding a fist up in, in front of your face and you just can't see anything in the middle of your visual field. So it's difficult to read. Of course, you can't drive. Uh, difficult to watch TV, even difficult to to recognize faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, uh, from previous studies by our groups and others, we knew that there's a cell type in the back of the eye called the RPE or retinal pigmented epithelium. And that's the, the culprit here. Those cells for unknown reasons die and they're support cells for the photoreceptors for the rods and cones. And so once your RPE die, the rods and cones die and you lose the ability to see in that central part of your visual field. 
So our strategy was to make the RPE from stem cells and implant them in the back of the eye via a surgical procedure to replace the dying cells with young, robust cells to keep the photoreceptors alive. How's that going? So uh, with funding from CIRM, we were able to uh, come up with uh, a product, uh, uh, a cell on a scaffold that, uh, and figured out a way to implant it, working with the surgeons at USC and the engineers at Caltech. And uh, then we went on to a phase one trial and we implanted 15 patients, all of whom were legally blind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the results, uh, we followed them for a year, in some cases, even three years. And the results are promising. Uh, 27% of the patients saw an improvement in vision of five letters on the, the eye chart. And, uh, and to my knowledge, this is the only treatment that has shown such an effect for people that are legally blind. Uh, now, uh, 60% stayed the same or got better. And that's a good result because in the fellow eye, which serves as a sort of a control, everybody got worse and the vision slowly declined. So, so we're excited now to uh, move on to a phase 2B trial, and we're starting to make cells for, for that trial uh, under a GMP good manufacturing process uh, so that we can move on. And we've been in, in contact with the FDA, uh, and uh, they're allowing us now to go into patients that are at an earlier stage in the disease. And we think there we'll even see better results because uh, we can put the cells in, save the photoreceptors before they start dying. Right. That's pretty exciting. I mean, to, to see not just kind of the disease not progressing, although obviously that's a big deal in and of itself, but to see it reversed, even, even if it's only just to say five letters. I mean, that's a remarkable thing to see. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. And, and uh, some of the patients uh, are just over the moon after, you know, seeing their vision decline, and then all of a sudden, it improves. And there's one particular uh, patient who recorded a video online. Uh, and she talked about the fact that she didn't like to go to parties anymore. She couldn't recognize faces. She couldn't read. She couldn't watch TV. And all of a sudden, right after the surgery, uh, she could see an improvement. And, and uh, she actually met the team uh, at a, an event at the International Society for Stem Cell Research. And she wanted to thank each, uh, each investigator personally. Wow. And it was really heartwarming for all the folks in my lab that were able to meet her and uh, attend that event. That must be great because for so long, I think you you work in, in a lab and you're working on cells and it's all very, it's very important, but it's kind of academic, it's dry. And then to suddenly walk in and see this woman whose life you've changed, that must be so wonderful. Right. One of my um, students uh, said that uh, patience and interacting with patients was like providing jet fuel for her to go back to the lab and work really hard. And, 
and yes, it's, it's rewarding and it, it makes us want to work harder and, and try to help people that have this uh, terrible disease. Yeah, we'll have to introduce patients to, to every researcher we fund so we can give jet fuel to all of them. Um, so obviously, you learn a lot from that first trial. So have you, you, you have you made kind of different changes, alterations, improvements in the, in the delivery system, the use of the cells for this next phase? Yes, it, it was a, a learning experience, you know, to get to the first patient, we did studies in rats, we did studies in, in pig. Uh, but this surgical procedure had never been performed in a human before. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the surgeons at, at USC, particularly Mark Humayan and Amir Kashani, were just amazing. They had to you know, feel their way through the surgical procedure in the first couple of patients. And, and uh, they made improvements along the way. Some of the patients had some hemorrhaging in the first uh, cohort. And they figured out how to prevent that in the second cohort. And so it was a learning experience all, all along the way. And, uh, and we, we think, uh, you know, we're ready now to go on to a bigger trial with more patients where we hope we can see really good results. That's exciting. And, and obviously we should give a shout out to the patients because they're pioneers in this. I mean, this is the first time it's been done in people. And so for them to be willing to kind of, put their, their eye on the line, as it were. That's extraordinary. Right. And these these were patients in their 80s in, in most cases, and and they were amazing. Yeah, they're like astronauts going up in the first spaceship, uh, and their attitude uh, was just so refreshing. They're so, they said, it may not help me, but it'll help others. Let's go. Let's do it. That's wonderful. That's so encouraging. So, so what are the biggest challenges that that you and your team and other researchers like you face in in, in doing this kind of research? Well, it, it's uh, it's a challenge because it's such a, a new technology, and not only is it stem cells and stem cell derived cells, but it's a novel surgical procedure. Mm-hmm. It's not too different from what they uh, do typically in study in um, treating diseases in the back of the eye but there were a, a few wrinkles they had to figure out so for example our scaffold that has the cells on it uh, rolls up into a little taco like uh, <laughs> in a cannula that's then inserted into the eye mm-hmm. and uh, then it unfolds and that allows the surgeons to keep the incision very small uh, and and that took some engineering, uh, some device manufacturing, and a lot of testing. Uh, the FDA wanted us to make sure that that folding didn't harm the cells. So we right. had to take uh, the device, put the uh, scaffold in, extrude it, take it in, put it out, and then measure uh, cellular functions. And we found that the cells were not stressed. Um, so a lot of... Uh, challenges with regard to the surgical procedure to make sure that the cells were going to survive the the whole process and and function yeah and also to keep the scaffold on the eye i mean you can't exactly just glue it or staple it on can you right well it's uh there's pressure in the eye that pushes the retina against the back of the eye in a healthy eye and that keeps the scaffold in place and we didn't see it move at all and, and one 
you know, really important question is, well, how are the cells doing after implant? Are they still alive? Mm -hmm. And uh, one of our patients uh, passed away two years after the surgery due to other um, complications. And they had uh, donated and consented to donate their eye to science. So we were able to look specifically at the cells and after two years, the cells were still there. They were alive and, and functioning well. So, uh, and this was a patient that had a huge area of geographic atrophy. They had hand motion vision only, so they can, couldn't see any letters on the chart. They could just see your hand mm -hmm. moving. And, um, and so we were encouraged by that. Now it's only one patient so far, but you know, uh, in terms of your shout out to the patients, most of them have consented to donate their eye after they pass, which allows for really definitive experiments to show that the cells are there and that they're still functioning. Wow, that's such a generous thing to do. Um, so on your bio page at, at UC Santa Barbara, it says it talks about the eye as complex, beautiful and functional. So what is it about the eye that appeals to you so much? Well, the eye is, is just amazing. Uh, I, I think Darwin called it the organ of perfection. And uh, it, it's so important too. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's part of the central nervous system that's right there and easily accessible. And, uh, and in a lot of ways, it's easier to study than some part of the brain that's deep inside the skull somewhere. Uh, and a lot of uh, model systems have been used to study the development of the retina. And, uh, and it's so important to mankind. I mean, I've gotten involved with the Foundation Fighting Blindness and gone to events where there are a lot of uh, blind people there. And, and just uh, to, to be able to try to help those patients is, is really rewarding. So not only is it fascinating uh, science-wise uh, and biology-wise, but it's also so important to, to try and treat these diseases. Absolutely. Um, so 10 years ago, and it's hard to imagine it's been that long, isn't it? You did a <laughs> TED Talk and you, learned, you talked about learning how newts regrow limbs. And you said, if we could understand how the newt does that, we could potentially figure out ways to do that in people. So how are we doing with the newts these days? There's been uh, progress made. And yeah, they're amazing. Uh, it's some, some newts, not all newts, but uh, some newts can regenerate an entire leg if, if the leg is lost. And it turns out that um, that species of newt uh, the males fight each other a lot and they bite off the other <laughs> male's legs. And so they figured out a way to regrow the, the leg. Other, other species of newts can't do that. Uh, and it's fascinating. And imagine, I mean, that's a really complex tissue. It has nerves, it has bone, it has skin, it has muscle. And so they thought at first it was a pluripotent stem cell like an embryonic stem cell or an IPS cell mm -hmm. that might be involved. But the work of uh, especially Eli Tanaka in, in Germany showed that it's actually um, multipotent stem cells for each tissue that are stimulated uh, 
in the case of an injury. And so there's a muscle progenitor that makes muscle. There's a nerve progenitor that makes nerve and it all comes together. And, and uh, uh, again, fascinating science. We don't understand everything, um, but there's also been progress made in uh, regeneration of the retina uh, in the eye, mm. which happens in uh, zebrafish, for example, uh, but doesn't happen in humans. And, and the work of Tom Ray and Dan Goldman ha- has shown that there are certain transcription factors uh, that are turned on in the glial cells, Mueller glial cells, that allow them to turn into photoreceptors and replace photoreceptors that are lost. And they've gone on now and tried using those factors in mouse and have made some progress in convincing the glial cells in a mouse to uh, turn into photoreceptors. So that's a promising way to maybe via gene therapy mm-hmm. to take existing cells that are still there and, and convince them to become photoreceptors to replace those cells that are lost in disease. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? To be able to kind of just kind of get your own body to kind of replace the bits that are dying off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of an endogenous repair mechanism and mm-hmm. if you understand that that might be a, a really great way to treat disease, uh, you know, retinitis pigmentosa, for example, where you lose photoreceptors, uh, but you still have the Mueller glia. So if you could convince them, go ahead, make a cone, make a rod, you'd be in good shape. I like that. Convince them. Let's talk to them. Let's, <laughs> let's make some sense. So and one of the things I get when I go out and do public speaking is that people always ask, why does it take so long? I just watched a documentary about the search for a, treatment for type one diabetes and Mm. and then one of the woman who the the person who was making excuse me the documentary said the joke in the community is that the 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 cure is five years away it's always five years away (laughs) right right and i've given talks to patients and patients families and for the foundation fighting blindness and uh, they've said the same thing you guys you always say five years and now it's five years later and you say five years. So, uh, and, and what I think is important to realize is that it's not easy to come up with these treatments. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was, we would have, you know, figured it out already. Uh, the diseases are complex. In some cases, we don't know what exactly causes the cells to die, for example. And, uh, and so it, it uh, it takes a while. I mean, even for development of a small molecule drug, um, they usually quote a figure that it, it takes 10 to 15 years uh, and, um, and it, it costs over a billion dollars and yeah. 90% of the molecules fail at some point in the, the development. So, so it's, it's a, it's a difficult process, but again, we we're, we're driven to, try to treat these diseases because there's a, a big need for it is unmet medical need. So we have to keep trying and, you know, progress is, is gradual, but progress happens. And sometimes mm-hmm. there's a breakthrough where all of a sudden you've got a treatment. So we have to keep trying. Yeah. How do you stay motivated then and, and, and hopeful? Because there are lots of failures along the way. I mean, every step you take, there's kind of a couple of things that don't necessarily work out. Right, right. And, uh, and, you know, when you're doing research, 
you're doing an experiment and, and you don't know how it's going to come out. Uh, and in a lot of cases, it doesn't come out the way you think. You're testing a hypothesis and you're dealing in an experiment with, you know, maybe 10 to 50% of the unknown. So that's what you're trying to figure out. And, and if it doesn't work the way you think, you go back to the drawing board and say, okay, that hypothesis was wrong. Why did that happen? Let's, let's think of some new explanations. And you go back to the bench and, and do more experiments. And, and in clinical trials too, uh, some fail uh, and some succeed. And even if they fail, you learn something. You learn right. and, and it allows you to go forward uh, with uh, a new direction to try and figure out the best way to proceed. Right. Um, and so finally, what do you do for fun? What do you do to stay active and healthy? <laughs> You're in Santa Barbara. You've got so many options there. <laughs> well, we're fortunate to to uh, live in a beautiful place. And and uh, we have uh, a big blue ocean there. And I, I love to get out on the water and and go fishing. I'm not a surfer. Everyone says, oh, do you surf? I'm like, no, you know, <laughs> I'm terrible at it. So, but um, uh, love to uh, go to the ocean and, and spend time there. And, and then we have beautiful hills here behind us, the Los Padres National Forest. And um, I, I'm a, a big dog uh, aficionado. I've got six dogs in the house and love to take them out. Oh, wow. The other thing I do um, that keeps me busy is I'm the president of our volunteer fire department. It is high fire danger here, and uh, I've been active in uh, raising money for the group here and also even learned how to roll up fire hose and, and uh, put out fires. So uh, that keeps me busy as well. Yeah, sad to say it's becoming increasingly common part of the landscape isn't it i mean we're all kind of faced with that those of us who live in cities lesser perhaps but certainly anyone in the countryside has to has to be a part of the solution exactly exactly and we're trying to pioneer a, a sort of new approach where it's not just a group of 10 people that are the volunteer firemen but it's the entire community that gets involved uh, that protects their homes we have uh, water sources around the neighborhood pumps and, and hoses and a number of folks that are trained and, and can put out fires if they come. Great. Well, good luck with the firefighting and good luck with the research. Dennis, it's been great fun chatting to you. Okay, thanks. Yeah, great to catch up and uh, best to you and all the folks at CERM. Thank you. And I'd like to thank everyone who's been listening at home, in the car or in the shower or wherever you take your podcasts. And we'll see you next time on Talking About Regeneration. <laughs>